0: Day thirty six, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. Today is the first day of Summerfest. It's a day that many of us look forward to all year. We will keep you advised of the weather. Right now, we are watching, watching the weather, and there is a, a huge line of storms that runs from below the Illinois border. Um, all the way up to um, – uh, it goes as far north as it would be Fond du Lac. Right now, it's just starting to hit the Madison area. So if you can Madi- uh, take, take a line, you know, Madison north and south, um, I, again, most of – it would go all the way down to the state line and then up as far north as Fond du Lac. And it just – it doesn't – there's no red. It doesn't look like it's going to be severe, but it looks like there, there's big storms with a bunch of rain moving through. Hopefully, um, if it's going to hit us, it will move through in the next. You'd like to see it move through quickly before Summerfest opens up at noon so people can go down there and enjoy themselves. One of the things with Summerfest now is that there is um, there's more permanent structures than there were 30 or 40 years ago. So you don't want to let the weather discourage you. Also, if you look at the weather reports, it's not supposed to be an all day washout. There's this. Line of storms that's going to be moving through. Whenever it moves through, and then um, again, they're saying that there's the potential for some other storms later on uh, this evening. Everybody's watching the weather. We'll continue to keep you updated. My advice would be, you know, be smart, but don't let this don't let this change your plans at least right now. Okay, we start today's program like we start every program a segment. I call three big things things that I think you need to know about to discuss at the gym or at the water cooler or the lunch table or wherever. Story number one, a new report out this morning by the conservative MacGyver Institute um, talking about the cost of sick leave. Now, let me let me kind of explain the background of this. I've worked in a number of the different places I've worked, have had different sick leave policies over the years. First job I had out of law school was I worked for the U.S. government, the U.S. Attorney's Office. And as a federal employee back then, I don't know if it's th- the case now, but all federal employees, you earned sick time and you got four hours of sick time for every in every two-week pay period. So you could accumulate sick time. And there was no limit on the amount of sick time that you could accumulate. Now, there were some of my colleagues who used, used sick time a- as vacation days. You know, e- every time every time you know somebody would get you know a, a day of sick time they would take it and and the way the policies worked is you could be gone i think up to 3 days before you needed a doctor's excuse or something so you knew that there was all sorts of people who were just using it as an additional vacation thing that's fine but what about the people like me who almost never had were you know blessed with relatively good health and almost never had to take sick time well you would just accumulate and accumulate the sick time And you you didn't lose it. It wasn't use or lose like vacation time was. You just accumulated the sick time. And the way... See, I always loved doing that because I always viewed this as kind of a short-term disability policy. If, Lord forbid... I ever got you know really really sick and wasn't able to work that would be great you know you'd be able to draw down that sick time and maybe you've accumulated five six seven weeks whatever it is you know you you don't have to worry about using vacation you don't have to worry about if you're out a month because you've hurt yourself you know that the paychecks are going to keep coming in so you could accumulate the sick time well what happens if you retire Well, the way the federal government worked is when you retired, you could cash in the sick leave, and that is that you could use it, you could exchange it for um, health coverage moving forward. So let's say you retired at at, at 61. For example, you're not eligible for Medicare. you could use that sick time to you know pay for added insurance coverage moving forward, so that was the benefit if, like me, you left after working there for twelve years or something, you just lost it so when i when I left the federal government, i just I lost all the sick time that I'd accumulated, but that's okay. It was something I've always believed that you shouldn't use sick time unless you're sick, and it was it was always nice to have all right so. That was the federal government. You could accumulate sick time, and you could accumulate a lot of sick time, and then you could cash it in at the end if you were tired. Right, then I worked in the private sector, and various jobs I've had in the private sector, the most traditional model used to be that you get X number of sick days a year. Maybe it's four, maybe it's five. You don't accumulate them. You have to be sick to use them, and they're, they're use or lose. You, you don't, they don't carry over. So, if you, you know get sick during the course of the year and you need to take a day or two, it's there. If you need more time than that, you blow through a week, well, then you know, you're you into your vacation time. And, and that's how it worked at the law firm I worked at, and that's how it largely was at the uh, Journal when I worked there. Now, here at Scripps, now that we've taken over WTMJ, um, they, they've gone to the PTO model, the paid time off model. They do not distinguish between sick time and vacation time. I get based on seniority, X amount of of hours days a year, and I don't. And again, they don't don't know if, if they don't ask if you're sick or not. It's just it's it's PTO, it's paid time off, and it's it's all use or lose, meaning that none of it carries over. So I get X amount of days, and if I don't use those days, vacation or sick, by the end of the year they're gone. So there's no. Ongoing obligation that Scripps is going to have to me. You know what? If I don't use the time I have by December 31st, it, it's just gone, and then the clock starts again next year. That, that's the way. That's the way it works. But there's no ongoing. Like I say, there's no o- ongoing obligation. Scripps. If I decide to try to accumulate vacation or PTO and retire three years from now, Scripps isn't going to owe me money. I mean, because the vacation is is all gone, other than what I might have in that particular year all right here is what the MacGyver Institute has found and I hope you're sitting down the state of Wisconsin spent over 168 million dollars in 2016 on unused sick time last year state employees who retired converted more than 168 million dollars worth of unused sick leave which was then used to purchase post-retirement health care, according to documents obtained by the MacGyver Institute and contained in a study they are releasing this morning. Um, What happens is, and and the the numbers here are staggering, um, the average state worker gets 16.25 sick days a year. 16.25 sick days. I'm not talking about vacation. I'm talking about sick days. The average private sector worker receives seven days a year. For state workers, you can accumulate the sick time. It never goes away. For private sector workers, in almost all cases, you can't carry it over. It's use or lose. You, If you don't use it, it it's gone. And that's certainly the way you know, it would be here. Each state worker who is enrolled in the program, um, also what happens is, The the sick time that you get, when they pay it off, um, it's based on your highest basic hourly pay rate. So let us say that you started to accumulate, you went to work for the state when you were 25 years old, and you were making, in my example, $10 an hour. Um, You retire when you're 55 years old, and you're making $40 an hour. Well, the value of that sick time Is calculated at your highest basic rate forty dollars an hour instead of the ten dollars an hour so um, it's it's an incredible expense Um, people who have worked for the state for over 15 years uh, again are also depending on what program you're in you might be eligible for a, a match And MacGyver says $168 million. Now, there's a couple politicians who tried to stop this back in 2011, the Act 10 era, and it it really went nowhere. Part of the problem is the lawmakers, the legislators, they are part of this system. So, you know, you, you would be expecting members of the state assembly and um, the, the state senate, if they were to introduce legislation like this, it would be hurting them because they are eligible for the same accumulation of sick time. 414-799-1620, that is the Acinet mortgage talk and text line. Look, th- this is not a let's bash state workers. It, it, it's not. State workers work hard. They deserve compensation. Having said that, More and more private sector companies, the the, the trend in private sector companies is, number one, away from sick leave and more towards this paid time off. Secondly, it's use or lose. And moving forward, now I understand this is a benefit that you cannot take away, but at the same time, moving forward, I think it is crazy with a capital C to continue to do this, to continue to allow people to accumulate this type of sick time and then Keep it for years and years and years and then pay off sick time that might have been earned at a cost when you're making $10 an hour and pay it off at $40 an hour. 414 is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It is way past time for the state to go to, again, like a PTO system similar to what most of us have to deal with. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 846. Hey, oh, listen what I say. It's 849. This is Jeff Wagner. That's the Red Hot Chili Peppers headlining at the amphitheater tonight. John and Jackson. John, good morning. You're first.
1: Good morning. How are you doing?
0: Good. What do you think?
1: Well, I think it's one of those benefits that keeps a person in a job that can be as humdrum as working for the state. You know, it it gives you that reason to stay there 25 years. People nowadays think they're going to have eight jobs before they retire. When, when i went looking for a job it was always they were trying to entice you to stay there for 30 years and i don't i don't you know object to it um
0: 168 it's a, it's a well, I mean, well let me ask you this i mean if 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 that is so necessary why is it that the private sector does exactly the opposite i mean people people stay in private sector jobs um typically because i don't know of the way they're compensated or the benefit package or whatever i mean What's why? Why do we need to treat state workers so much differently than the real world treats um, workers?
1: Well, you're, you're talking about, you know, I, I'm sure the state workers that are in you know higher positions could go to the private sector. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll get more money up front, but they, they're not going to get those benefits. Right. So, right. it's kind of a trade off. You know, you're, you're having a person that's qualified to go out and make more money, but you can't pay them so much, so you're giving them some kind of benefit to keep them around.
0: Well, I guess I just get on. My problem is th- th- this whole notion that, and again, this is not bashing government workers. It, it, it's not intended that. But this idea that, gee, we're not going to be able to recruit good workers, we're not going to retain good workers. Um, state workers are compensated, I think, very, very fairly. And, you know, a lot of times with the perhaps exception of prison guards. But a lot of times when these jobs come open, you got people that are jumping on them because it, it's great benefits and things like this. Th- this idea of of being able to accumulate sick time though, to me is absolutely outrageous. 168 million dollars. I I think, you know, moving forward, do we really do you really believe that if you had all right, for new employees, if you would change the policy and say for new employees no more accumulated sick time. It's simply, it's gonna be paid time off. PTO, just like they do it in the real world, you're gonna get X amount of you know time off based on your seniority or whatever. Do you really think that people wouldn't apply for the state jobs? I mean, I, just, I guess I just don't buy that. Sue in Cedarburg. Sue, you're on 620 WTMJ, good morning.
2: Good morning. Um, I think, of course, the uh, sick days are ridiculous because in the private sector, of course, that doesn't happen. But my question is there's an article in the journal Sentinel where many um, state workers are leaving for the private sector for better opportunities or whatever. So, um, I guess that that confuses me. Why would they want to leave such a good deal?
0: Well, I mean, I think that maybe they want to, maybe, thanks, maybe, maybe there's more possibility for promotion and advancement. Maybe. Maybe you just get tired of doing what you're doing. I left the federal government after 11 or 12 years just because I was ready. I didn't want to do that for all my life. I loved the job. I still love that that job. It was a great job, but I didn't want to do it for all my life. There's all sorts of reasons why people leave, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. That you have some people deciding to you know be mobile. I mean, the idea that you start at some place when you're 25 years old, and that means or 22 years old, and that means that you know you want to stay there till you're 65 or 60 or whatever the retirement age is. I I don't. That's just not the way of the real world. People move around all all the time. But I guess I. I'm having trouble accepting the premise that you would not be able to get, that a 23-year-old out of college looking for a job in today's job market would say, okay, I'm not going to go to work for the state because if I stay with the state and if I retire in 30-some years, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to be able to cash in for some uh, payments of health insurance. I mean, I, I just, I don't believe that this has anything to do with certainly recruiting you know, people, and that's kind of the reality. Plus, it was $168 million just last year. Now, again, I don't think probably legally that you could change the system overnight, but you could sure change it for new employees. And um, again, somebody's making the point that this is full time employees. It doesn't apply to limited term employees. That's part time state workers. No, but this is a benefit you give to full time employees. It is a benefit that I think is probably unique to government service, and it is a benefit. It that is costing an absolute and total fortune. 854, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Design, so 857, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. That's the Moody Blues. Blues playing. Which stage are they at tonight, Hondo? They're at the BMO Harris Pavilion. My prom. My prom. Back in the day. Jane's looking at me. It was the Moody Blues. It was it was based on. See, we I went to Nicolet. It was the Nicolay Knights, and it was like Nights, Knights K N I G H T S. Knights in white satin. Get it? I I do not know why I remember that. I have trouble remembering my own name, or you know, where did I where did I put last night? It's like fifteen minutes. Where did I put my cell phone? But I remember Knights in white satin. <laughs> the Moody Blues are uh, playing down at Summerfest. All right, uh, big story number two. We'll get into it fully after the uh, top of the hour. Um, Ed Flynn and people in the community, at least some people, are suggesting, oh, we need to we need to get police away from solving crime, and we need to get them into solving problems. Eh, we'll talk about that in just a minute. But um, speaking of crime, the, the bad guys must not have gotten the memo. Um, two days ago, Ed Flynn appears at this community conference and says, what I think is one of the stupidest things that I have ever heard come out of the mouth of a public official. And I understand that that that, that is significant, where he says that the reason you've got all this gun violence is because of the concealed carry law. And then when he's challenged on it, he refuses to provide any sort of information at all. I mean, and his suggestion is, well, we've got people who are human holsters. And I think what he means by that is, You've got gang bangers who enlist people that don't have criminal records to get concealed carry purchase guns, and then walk around and give the gang bangers the guns. I mean, it, it's something that you you wonder seriously what Ed Flynn is smoking. Um, so here's the latest story: um, more violence in the city of Milwaukee. Thirty-two year old man killed Tuesday afternoon on the north side. The fourth shooting in the city since Monday night. Here is my question for Ed Flynn, chief. How many of those shootings involved concealed carry permit holders? Just just curious, Chief. It's 8.59. This is Jeff Wagner. Stick around. Big story number two coming up. <laughs> It's nine oh eight, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. Once again, the first day of Summerfest. Go on down, enjoy yourself. All right, as I said before the break um, or earlier this week, um, Ed Flynn, the chief of Milwaukee, came out with what I, I honestly believe is one of the stupidest statements I have ever heard. Certainly from somebody in law enforcement, but maybe in general, where he talks about how, in his opinion, the rash of violence. Is due to concealed carry permit holders. I mean, seriously. And then when he's challenged on it, it's well. And, and this is what this is what guys like Flynn do. They uh, well, you you know, I'm prohibited by law from talking about you know, any concealed carry permit holders committed a crime. Well, okay, well that might might or might not be the case. But if somebody who's con- who's got a concealed carry permit is charged with a crime, that is going to end up coming out. And I would challenge the chief to provide statistics backing this up and get. Since uh, since Monday, there have been four shootings in Milwaukee, um, including one a 32 year old man who was killed Tuesday afternoon. My question to the chief is: uh, are any of these related to concealed carry permit holders? It's just it's just a dumb thing to say. There, there's no question about it. But there was this at the same time that the chief is talking about this, he's at one of these touchy feely let's sit around and, and sing kumbaya conferences, um, you know, held. In Milwaukee, it was put together by two dozen local civil rights advocacy, faith, and service organizations. In other words, you know these these are groups that that the traditional way of the cops catching the bad guys, the DA prosecuting the bad guys, the judges putting the bad guys in prison. Well, these are groups that don't necessarily buy into that. So the the whole discussion is something called um, instead of instead of criminal arrests. Um, the idea is to move police towards a problem solving approach. So here here's what the problem solving approach is. Now, the basic model of being a cop is that you know, you you drive around, you um, look for trouble, um, or you wait for a dispatcher to tell you that there is trouble, and then then you respond. Then you make you respond, you catch the bad guy, You arrest the bad guy, and theoretically, you put him in jail. That's the traditional way. Now, there are things like that. I'm a big proponent of, like, um, like the broken windows theory, which says that you don't ignore the little things because little things become big things. Now, in Milwaukee, we ignore little things. You know, you can drive past a police officer at 80 miles an hour, and the police officer will not chase you because of Ed Flynn's policy. Now, I, I would argue that that's not necessarily a, a little thing, but that's kind of the policy. Run from the cops. That's okay. We're going to let you go unless we have evidence to believe that you've committed some sort of violent crime. To me, that's the complete antithesis, the opposite of of a broken windows policy. But that's what we have here in Milwaukee. It's like, okay, wait till there's a call. Go answer it, try to solve the crime, try to arrest the bad guy. That is traditional policing, and I think that's what cops do and should be doing. Now, I also think that the police can have a deterrent effect. If you say, hey, you know, we're going to identify some of the high crime areas in the city and we're going to have saturation patrols. We're going to put lots of cops into these areas during the high crime times. During the summer, you know, we're going to flood the streets with police because we want to send the message that you're not going to be able to get away with anything. Somebody is perhaps less likely to pull out a gun and shoot somebody in argument if you know that there's a police officer down the corner. I am a big proponent of again the saturation type of policing we don't do that as much as we should in milwaukee because there is just a shortage of cops that's an unfortunate thing as well but but that's not the solution that this group is coming up with it is it's problem solving Um, here's what they say we should be doing they call it focused deterrence this is the way the journal sentinel describes it focused deterrence traditionally has involved identifying prolific offenders all right let's find out you know, who are the gang bangers who are the drug dealers in the area and instead of prosecuting them necessarily for the crimes they have committed let's call them in we will have the police host a call in and by call in meaning that they bring them in to you know a room and then what we do is we give them community support and offer them resources to turn their lives around they are told often as a group that they have the attention of law enforcement like like the various arrests that they've had haven't gotten that attention before We are in law enforcement. We are looking at you, and you will face serious consequences if you are arrested again. In other words, all right, now you are on triple secret probation, so don't do it again. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I guess I don't have a problem if you want to try to round up the biggest offenders in a given community, and, and drag them in and try to scare them straight. I, I guess if you want to do that. Now, my guess is a lot of the offenders that you're going to round up are probably going to have outstanding warrants for them anyway, so I, I'm all in favor of these roundups. And if you want to try to talk tough to them, that's okay. But can, can we have a real-world check here? I mean, if you've got somebody that is a gangster or a gangbanger or a prolific dope, dope dealer or a hardcore car thief who has been arrested time after time and really never had any significant consequences, do you seriously believe that bringing them into a room and then telling them, hey, we're going to try to offer you support so you stop dealing drugs or you stop, I don't know, robbing people or you stop stealing cars, we're going to offer you community support. Does anybody seriously believe that that is going to work long term? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I'm talking about big picture, long term. Now, if, if you want to have the police be officer friendly and go out and try to do some of the scared straight things with some kids, I, I'm all in favor of that. As long as you're willing to follow this up. But, but really, is this... Is this problem solving? Is this the solution to long-term crime problems? I just don't think so. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Wouldn't we be much better in just simply when we catch the prolific offenders arresting them and sending them to jail for at least a period of time? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 915. This is Jeff Wagner. 9.19, 9.19, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ. That is Flume playing tonight at the Miller Light Oasis at the Miller Light Oasis at Summerfest. Brian Braun returned to the lineup last night for the Brewers. Tonight, Braun and the Brewers are back at it again in Cincinnati against the Reds. They are still in first place by a game. The Cubs lost uh, last night to the Washington Nationals. Our game day coverage gets underway at 5.35, sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. You know, it is amazing. I mean, the Brewers um, are. Kind of treading water right now, but there's still a game ahead. I mean, the division. Everybody keeps waiting for somebody to get hot, but uh, presumably the Cubs. But so far, they're just kind of treading water. You wonder if the Brewers could. The Brewers could get hot, go on a win streak. You know, run off seven or eight games in a row. You wonder whether they could put some distance. That's. uh But you got to start winning, and they uh, play Cincinnati tonight again. Again, our game day coverage five thirty-five in the afternoon. Yeah, this is. This is the latest in sort of hip and trendy and and fashionable. And I guess when it comes to law enforcement, I've always believed that that fashionable might sound good and it might appeal to, I don't know, the editorial boards of local newspapers, and it might make you feel good in the community. But at the end of the day, it just doesn't work. Now, I understand if you've got a bunch of hardcore offenders – and you want to whistle them in and you want to say, hey, we know you are hardcore offenders. We know you're drug dealers. We know you're car thieves or whatever. And you want to threaten them. Okay, well, all right. I don't have a problem with that necessarily. Or you want to offer them resources. Gee, Mr. Drug Dealer, what could we do to get you to stop selling heroin out of the drug house? Well, I guess my question would be, if you know the person is a drug dealer or you know that they are a car thief or you know that they are an armed robber, Why don't we, I don't know, prosecute them for the crimes that they are committing? But, you know, we don't, we don't want to do that. We don't want to send too many people off to prison. So we whistle them in and we say, okay, we're going to give you a chance to kind of turn your life around. And, and here, but this, this is the last chance. This is the last chance you're getting. Now, chances are most of these people that you bring in that qualify as prolific offenders have been through the system on multiple occasions and have never learned that there are consequences for anything to begin with. So will this work? Well, I, I doubt any significance to this but nevertheless i'm not opposed to trying it but you don't want to do this as a substitute for good old-fashioned law enforcement and good old-fashioned aggressive let's get the bad guys off the streets maybe with the youngest offenders maybe you can do this but really the, the the hardcore car thieves carjackers criminals Felons with guns, those type of things, bringing them in and singing Kumbaya, you know, good luck. All right. Big story number three. The state budget impasse continues. The hope was that we would have a budget by this Friday. We should have a budget by this Friday, because when you have hang-ups on the budget, typically it is because you have a divided legislature. Maybe you have a Democratic Senate, a Republican Assembly, and a Democratic governor or whatever, and and just ideologically you don't have an agreement. Maybe that's it. That's not what we have in Wisconsin right now. You have an overwhelming Republican majority in the state assembly. You have a working Republican majority in the state Senate, and you have a very, very powerful Republican governor. There is no reason at all that we should not have had a budget by now. And the truth of the matter is, it is an embarrassment that we have it. It makes the Republicans look bad. It makes them look foolish. And I'm very disappointed that, you know, people, including many people who I like and I've worked to try to get elected, are making themselves look foolish. This budget should have been done, well, should have been done weeks ago. And apparently we're not even any closer to this with the impasse. So where is the problem with the budget? Well, you start at the state assembly. The governor and the state senate, the governor has been very clear that he is not going to be, in, he is not raising taxes. And, and the governor, very, very powerful governor, he's been through all sorts of battles. He has made it very clear that he is not going to raise taxes. His position is Republicans do not get sent to Madison to raise taxes, and he's not going to raise taxes. He's not going to raise the gas tax. He's not going to sign off on anything like that. The state Senate is with the governor. They say, hey, we're not going to raise taxes, period. It is not going to happen. You have leadership, and I don't know that leadership necessarily, based on what I'm being told, reflects the opinions of the majority of the members but leadership in the state assembly has decided no we, we want to raise taxes and particularly with the road fund we want to explore ideas of raising the gas tax or coming up with some of these Rube Goldberg schemes where we might lower the gas tax but we apply the state sales tax to it they want to raise taxes All right, Scott Walker has made it clear that he's not going to sign off on any budget that raises taxes. I think the majority of the state of Wisconsin is with him. The state Senate is with him. And yet you have the Republicans in the Assembly, and I don't know whether this is because leadership... Members of leadership look in the mirror and see themselves as the next governor and think they want to, I don't know, appease the road builder's lobby or other parts of the transportation lobby. I I don't know if it's that. I I don't know if it's they generally think that, okay, well, we shouldn't do borrowing. We need to raise taxes because the governor's solution is borrowing. And as I've always argued, borrowing in and of itself isn't necessarily bad. Almost nobody would own a house if you didn't take out a mortgage. The question becomes, when is borrowing excessive? But in this particular case, the governor says, "Okay, for the time being, I, I want to borrow to continue to keep road funds um, moving." State legislature says, "No, no, we want to, you know, we we want to uh, we want to raise taxes to do that, and we're not going to cooperate unless you agree to raise taxes." This is a losing proposition politically for Republicans in the state legislature, and it's a losing proposition in general for Republicans in the state, because the governor has already said it is going to be a non-starter. So, I mean, we should have had a budget done weeks ago, I firmly believe. We certainly should have had it done by Friday, and now they're not even going to meet on this because you've got some leaders in the assembly that have decided to essentially dig in their heels and say, unless you let us raise taxes, we're not going to give you a budget. That is absurd. And here's what needs to happen. There needs to be a revolt among rank-and-file assembly members. Jim Ott, John Jagler, the list goes on, but those are just two. Um, Look, you, you need to stand up to your leadership, and you need to say, we're not going to walk off this cliff with you because you know you want to get money from the road builders or one or two of you might look in the mirror like i say and see that you're going to be the next governor no we're we're not going to do this this is not the time to raise taxes we've got a governor who says he's not going to raise taxes so why keep banging your head against this particular brick wall vote for the budget, go along with the governor's plan, and then move on. And this isn't going to happen until more and more rank-and-file voter, more rank-and-file Republican legislators hear from their constituents and decide, you know, we were not sent here to Madison to raise our taxes, and there needs to be a bit of a revolt to get the attention of Assembly leadership who is not listening and who is embarrassing themselves And unfortunately, the Republican Party. It's 927. This is Jeff Wagner. That's big thing number three. Budget still is not getting done. Give me a break. 929, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Senator Ron Johnson is at the center of the health care debate in Washington. Could he play a role in breaking the impasse once they reconvene after the holiday break? John McCure shares the latest beginning at 3 o'clock on Wisconsin's Afternoon News, broadcasting live from Summerfest, sponsored by Global Health. Who is that again, Hondo? Frankie Ballard. Ballard. U.S. Cellular Connection Summerfest this evening, and uh, Scafidi and Billstad are on the Summerfest grounds, noon until three. John McCure, Wisconsin's afternoon news, there from three to six, and then uh, when we have Sports Central broadcast, they'll be down there as well. So check that all out. Coming up in just a couple minutes, Walmart says it's not their fault. 934, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. That is Mr. Wives performing tonight at 10 o'clock at the Briggs & Stratton Big Backyard. Now, if I was down at Summerfest this afternoon, which I'm I'm not going to have a chance to be because I've got stuff I have to do this afternoon, but a show that I would catch, U.S. Cellular Connection Stage, 2 o'clock this afternoon, the Havana Ducks are playing. Now, the Havana Ducks, well-known in this area, used to be Pork and the Havana Ducks, Um, which were, I mean, if there was a tent up in, um, if there was a tent somewhere, a church festival or something, Pork and the Vanaducks were there. They used to headline at State Fair um, the the Saz's stage every night. And um, just Pork, his name is Jerry Armstrong, and the guy was like 300 and some odd pounds, and they just, they did you know some of their own music and they did covers of you know country songs and stuff and it was just it was just a great show one of my very favorite bands pork passed away a few years back and now the havana ducks at least if this is the same incarnation it's the uh, lead guitar player from them his name is crowbar and you know him and a kind of a reconfigured band at least i saw him at state fair so they're they're playing at two o'clock if i if i was down on the Summerfest grounds i'd be over watching them so check it out if you're down on the grounds lots of great stuff going on there at the u.s cellular connection all right, I understand people hate Walmart. I've been doing this show long enough to understand people just hate Walmart. Now, of course, for everybody that hates Walmart, it's still all everybody, everybody lines up, you know, the day after Thanksgiving to try to get in and, and buy the you know thirty nine dollars DVD players. So people say they hate Walmart, but they love the prices at Walmart. So people continue to patronize them. All right, here is the story, and it, it's a it's kind of a horrible story. There is a 24-hour Walmart down in uh, Skokie, Illinois. They're open 24 hours. And May 30th, there's a 16-year-old girl who is, her name is Eliza Wozni, and she's wandering around the Walmart at 3 o'clock in the morning, which admittedly should raise all sorts of questions. She apparently goes into, like, the sporting goods section of Walmart, and she grabs a knife, and she grabs a machete, okay? So she's... Now, okay, 3 in the morning, 16-year-old girl, Walmart, and she's, she's got th- these items, and she's walking around the store with these items. Now, I will be the first to acknowledge that this is probably a bit unusual, she ends up walking out of the store. She steals these two items. Um, Walmart has, they do have security guards, and they do have people that are checking for shoplifting and stuff like this, but Walmart doesn't stop her. Now, we don't know for sure whether anybody necessarily saw her, but the surveillance cameras said that she was wandering around the store. But, but they, don't, they don't stop her from walking out of the store. Um, Now, of course, Walmart has a policy that their associates aren't supposed to confront shoplifters. So the woman's walking around with these things. She walks out of the store. All right. And we've all heard about the stories where sometimes you, you know, there's questions about, gee, what happens when the shoplifter gets violent and things like that? You know, and associates end up losing their jobs because they confronted them. But in any event, woman's walking around. She's a 16-year-old. She's walking around. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. She's got a machete. She's got a knife. She walks out of the store with them. She calls, she calls an Uber driver. You know, so she's got the Uber app. She calls an Uber driver. And a, a driver shows up at the store at 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, the Uber driver, his name is, is Grant Nelson. The girl gets into his car and in a matter of moments attacks him. He's a 34-year-old guy. She attacks him with the machete and the knife and um, ends up ends up doing very severe damage. He's trying to fight it off as she's attacking him. Nobody knows why she attacked him. I mean, there's no motive. This wasn't like, you know, she was stalking him. She just, he happened to be the guy that responded to her request for a car. He's ultimately able to get out of his car. He runs to a nearby condo building. He's pressing door buzzers, pleading for help. Um, He dies as a result of, of his wounds. The 16-year-old that stabbed him, she runs off. She ends up getting caught. All right, so that's that's the background of the story. But she attacked him with the machete and the knife that she stole from Walmart. Walmart is now being sued by relatives of the murdered Uber driver. The lawsuit is against Walmart and their security contractors, alleging that they were negligent because they failed to stop the 16-year-old. They failed to prevent her from shoplifting. They failed to question her or ask her to show a receipt as she left the store carrying the weapons. According to the suit, two Walmart employees or contractors were standing in front of the door as she exited, um, but they, they didn't confront her. So Walmart is now being sued, saying, you should have confronted this shoplifter now it's unclear if they knew she was shoplifting or not, but they're saying, hey, you should have done more. She's walking around the store with a machete and a knife. You should have stopped her from going out in the first place. If you would have stopped her, theoretically she wouldn't have been able to call the Uber. Theoretically, then she would not have killed the driver. 414 799 1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you where I come down on this in a minute, but I'm curious as to how do you react to this. Is Walmart liable? The fact that somebody steals stuff from them, Walmart doesn't stop the woman from walking out of the store, and then she uses the stuff she stole from Walmart to commit a crime. Do you think Walmart should be liable to the dead man's family? 414-799-1620. That's the accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next, and like I say, I'll tell you where I come down on this as well. It is 941. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Nine forty-five, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. Um, those are the Spin Doctors. They are performing this evening at Summerfest as well. Ten o'clock, Uline Warehouse. A number of people are asking if I, you know, are you going down to Summerfest? I am. I'm going to go. Um, going to go with my brother and my goddaughter, who's also my niece. We're going to see Zach Brown on Saturday night, and uh, my girlfriend and I are going to go see. Uh, we're just going to wander around Summerfest Thursday afternoon. So that next, not tomorrow, but the the following Thursday. So those are. Those are two of the times. Maybe I'll try to get down there one more time as well. But, though, I'm, yeah, I'm, I, I love Summerfest. I, I love Summerfest. Uh, and now I, I do admit as I get older... Uh, I just I have less tolerance for crowds, and so I tend to go a little bit earlier and get out of there earlier. Although, again, Zach Brown on Saturday night will always be a good show. So I'm going to go. So you should as well. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text line. This is the latest lawsuit has been filed against Walmart. I, I know that people you know don't like Walmart. I, I get that, but at the same time, that doesn't necessarily mean that the suits are correct. You have. You have a 16-year-old girl, 3 o'clock in the morning. She's wandering around this all-night Walmart store. She grabs a machete and a knife, presumably out of the sporting goods thing. She's wandering around the store. She steals them. And the lawsuit alleges that she walked out. She walked past like an employee and a security person. They didn't stop her. They didn't confront her. Don't know if they knew she was shoplifting or not. She calls an Uber driver. Gets picked up and then she attacks and ultimately kills the driver with the stuff she's stolen. Um, now the family is suing Walmart. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the accurate Mortgage Talking Text Line. Feel free to agree disagree with me on this one. I feel very bad for the Uber driver, but I, I just I don't think this is a basis to sue Walmart. The woman in question committed uh, committed a crime. She stole goods for them. You can argue that maybe their loss prevention theory should have been better. Maybe they should have been more aggressive in doing this. But this idea that they had to stop her and that they are then responsible for everything she does afterwards, I I just I think that is going too far. On our text line, uh, somebody writes, if the 16-year-old had stolen the knife and used it a month later to commit the same crime, would this still be a, a lawsuit? I mean, I think that's a, that's a very, very fair question. I mean, what, what if there wasn't... What if there wasn't a time gap? Same sort of situation. She shoplifts the thing. For whatever reason, Walmart lets her go. They don't want to get involved in a confrontation. They're, they're not sure they have enough evidence to stop her. Whatever. She steals the stuff. She gets away with this. And then a month later, she uses it. Would you be allowed to sue? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text line. Again, I know people don't like Walmart, but this isn't this isn't their fault. Walmart is a victim as well. Walmart is victimized because the woman stole stuff from them. And what if, does the stealing even make any difference? You know, what if, what if she had paid for the things? I mean, does, does that change the dynamic? What if she went, and I, I don't think either one of these, I don't think either one of these items was illegal in and of itself. So what if she, she goes and she buys the knife and then she does the same exact thing? Do you sue Walmart for saying, well, you, you shouldn't be, you, you shouldn't have sold a knife? To you know, a 16-year-old girl who's in the store at three o'clock in the morning. Well, okay, common sense might tell you that, but what if Walmart? You know very well if Walmart decided, well, we weren't going to sell this to her, uh, then they're going to get a, a lawsuit. Kim, uh, Chris, and Elkhorn writes. Ultimately, the girl needs to be held accountable for what she did. You can't tell me with all the surveillance that Walmart has had that her behavior in the store wasn't noticed. Uh, We're stopped almost every time we shop at Walmart. She says, I think they're partially responsible. I think Uber needs to make some changes, too. 414-799-1620. Steve in Sheboygan. Steve, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Is this Walmart's fault?
3: It is not Walmart's fault unless they can prove that they were part of the plan to,
4: to commit murder.
0: Right. Yeah, if, right. Unless you could show that Walmart knew that she was going to go kill an Uber driver with the, the machete. Otherwise, it's Walmart's the victim. Walmart's getting ripped off.
3: Exactly. Exactly. Because where does it stop? Do you, do you go after the steel manufacturer, the plastics manufacturer, the delivery driver of the, of the goods to the store? Where does it stop?
0: Well, it, well, exactly. I mean, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. See, that that's the concern. I mean, it, it is. I mean, here's Randy sends me a text. He says, all right. Um, what if I steal a car? And what if somebody, and let me, let me just even modify his facts a little bit more. What if you leave your car in the driveway and the keys are in the car or the car is running because you're going to be warming it up? It's not a crime, but it, it's probably an unwise sort of thing. Somebody comes along and steals the car and then uses your car to... I don't know, drive through an intersection and ram into somebody Um, or, hey, I'm going to use my stolen car and I'm going to go downtown Milwaukee and I'm going to go try to hit as many people as I can on on the sidewalk in Wisconsin Avenue. Are you responsible because you left your keys in the car and you made it you you didn't stop the person or you made it easier, theoretically, for them to steal your car? I mean, my, my answer, I guess, would be no. Now, I understand why you get these lawsuits. I mean, let's let us be honest. You've got a 16-year-old girl who committed this horrible, horrible crime. All right, she's going to be punished, but she doesn't have any money. I suspect her parents don't have any money. You, you can sue You can sue the girl. Maybe you can sue her parents, but you're not going to collect any money. You know, if you want to get money from a wrongful death lawsuit, you have to find an entity with deep pockets, and that would certainly be, you know, Walmart. Let's talk to Dustin in Fond du Lac. Dustin, you're on 620 BTMJ. Good Good morning.
5: Good morning. Um, I think if you're going to be able to go after Walmart for providing those weapons, whether she bought them or stole them, then you're going to be able to go after every single firearms dealer for providing the weapons that are used in any other murderers murderers with uh, firearms.
0: Right. especially not going to happen. Right. Well, especially if there's any sort of, I don't know, erratic behavior or or whatever. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 where do you draw the line? Now, the, the lawyers in this case are going to argue, well, it's not like she was there at three o'clock in the afternoon. She was there at three o'clock in the morning. It should have raised red flags. And, and maybe maybe it should have. But to me, that's a far cry from saying Walmart is responsible for what she does with these items that she stole once she leaves the store. Exactly. Yeah. No. Thanks, for, and That's. I guess that's it. Um, let's see another text. I'm curious if it would make a difference if she had stolen a hammer and beat him to death with that instead of a knife or a machete. Well, I think that's. I mean, that that's kind of a fair question as well. You know, do we want to hold stores responsible if somebody comes in and, and see? And here's the. Here's the damned if you do here's the damned if you don't think. you know we've had situations before and I don't and Walmart all Walmart is saying right now is we've, we've followed our policies. I don't know if Walmart knew if the, if the security guy or if the associates knew she was shoplifting or not. I, I do know that it's a general rule Walmart's policies and many retailers' policies because we've talked about the flip side of this, it says that you know, don't confront people. You know, if you see somebody that's stealing, we don't want the associates. You don't want the person that's working, the cashier or whatever. You know, your job isn't to confront these people. Your job isn't to chase them out. What you do is you get the information, you document it, you call the cops. That's what you do because you don't want a situation. Remember, we've talked about situations where you have these retail employees who do confront shoplifters And then what happens is they get into fights or they chase them out. And then, you know, they end up, the employees end up losing their job because it's, well, you know, you weren't supposed to confront the shoplifter because we didn't want uh, people being put at risk. So from an employee's perspective, you've got this issue as well. This is tragic. It is tragic. And my heart goes out to the Uber driver. And I certainly understand the frustration that the family has under these circumstances. And I understand if, again, you're trying to find some sort of compensation. I, I appreciate it. You're looking for the deep pockets, but I just Walmart to me, it's not their responsibility. It's just not. Um, let's see. We have a note here. I work at Walmart. Only designated people are allowed to apprehend shoplifters. Um, we're not. Walmart's not responsible for customers' behavior, paying or or not. Um, yeah. Let's talk to Pat in wawatosa Pat, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ.
2: Good morning. What do you think? Um, I think that the well, uh, Walmart is responsible because they should have called the police immediately. And while this girl was calling her Uber, I don't know how far she left the property. They probably could have picked her up.
0: Do you think I that mean, they have to? Do, they have an obligation to report every shoplifting crime as soon as it happens.
2: Um, I yeah, I think they should. Mm-hmm. it would break down on that, and especially because what she took was, you know, some horrible items that did that killed somebody. I mean, if it's toilet paper, something that's different, but a machete and a big knife you, uh, and you walk out the store with that uh plus being so young i okay I well let's let well
0: let's say all right let, let's work with this pat let's say that they make the, they, they make the call they call it it's three o'clock in the morning they call it right away um, they say "Hey, some we, we think we think this woman's just stolen a machete and a knife and the police and and she's gotten into an uber car and she's driven off what do you think the police would do um
2: well i was hoping they could catch her before she got
0: in the Uber car. Yeah, but yeah, I don't I mean, know how
2: long she had to wait, you I, know.
0: Yeah, but I mean, well, you, I guess, but as a practical matter, I mean, I, as in in the real world, the police are going to say, okay, we'll, we'll send somebody over to, you know, we'll send somebody over to take a report or whatever, and then maybe maybe somebody comes over a couple hours later. I mean, th- see, I guess here, here's the thing. I mean, I don't, the, the, you you don't have like an active shooting situation. And the truth of the matter is, I mean, I'm not sure a local police department you, you, you get a call at three o'clock in the morning and somebody shoplifted something. I, I doubt I doubt that they're gonna say, Okay, we're gonna drop everything and we're gonna run over we're gonna run over there. Now you say somebody shoplifted a knife, you know, maybe they'll come over more quickly, but I, I just I don't I guess I don't think the company has a responsibility Every time there is a shoplifting situation, to call the police. Matter of fact, I will tell you there are there are stores in the Milwaukee area, and there are shopping centers in the Milwaukee area that discourage patri- the discourage stores from calling the police and reporting shoplifting because. They don't want the the shopping center to get the reputation that there's a lot of theft going around. So, I mean, I guess I don't know that it's the burden of the store to to immediately call the cops. And I, I don't know that the cops are going to respond in... You know, in that fashion. I just, again, I, I'm sorry for the family of the driver. I don't think that there is liability here. Um, but we'll see how this entire thing plays out. Okay, coming up in just a couple minutes. Speaking of safety, a Green Bay teacher gets a lot of attention. She goes on the record talking about how dangerous her job is. I'll tell you all about it in a couple minutes. It's nine fifty-six. It's So Jane. Okay, the woman who delivered the child. How, how big was the kid? Fourteen pounds. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I saw. A, I saw a picture of him. It, wow. He looks like a toddler. Oh wow! I, I think every woman who's who's given birth is listening to us right now, going fourteen pounds. C-section though. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes. Okay. But still, I come
6: on—that somebody's wiping their brow, going, Woo
0: Wow! Fourteen pounds." Right, Dad, Dad. Hondo says he said Thanksgiving turkey's that big. You know, and Dad is like, "Oh, good, he's going to be a lineman for the Packers." Well, I, I don't. Mom is probably going to be going. Okay, this is it, pal. You know, this is. Oh, oh, I hope if this is their first kid, it's probably going to be their last kid. That would be my guess. Just, just saying. Okay. Uh, matter of fact, we're watching the rain, and and the good news is that this the storm system is moving through. When, when I sat down here about an hour and a half ago, there was this huge giant blob of like yellow and dark yellow and stuff that ran from the state line up to Fond du Lac That's broken up, and and there's still – I mean, there's spotty showers and maybe, like, some some heavy pockets of rain, but it's not the consistent rain that – so it's going to rain off and on, at least for the next couple hours, I think, but there's not that consistent rain that we were looking at a couple hours ago. Don't let this stop you from going down to Summerfest. All right, this this story got my attention because I I think – I mean, the the question is, is the person who's raising these complaints – a complainer, a whiner who is overstating the case, or is is this something that's based in fact and really needs to be addressed? Um, here's the deal. Um, the woman is, uh, a her name is Kirsten Westcott, and um, earlier this month, she announced her resignation. She was a, a middle school teacher at Washington Middle School in Green Bay, uh, east side of green bay school 's been around forever. This is middle school, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade okay so we 're talking we 're talking middle school we 're not talking high school we 're talking middle school. so she shows up in front of the the board of education and she she gives this testimony and the, the testimony 's gone viral. I hate that phrase because it 's cliche but it 's gone viral on on YouTube. Um, a recording of her announcement was there. She told the board of Education that she's worked in the district for 12 years. She said she's been at Washington Middle School um, for for nine. And then she explained why, why she quit. Um, she says, I fear for my safety every day. I am equally afraid for the safety of my colleagues and most importantly, my students. We are in danger every day when we show up to our school. She said, Uh, The students and staff are physically, verbally, mentally, emotionally, and sexually abused at the middle school on almost a, a daily basis. And then she goes on to talk about, you know, some of the circumstances and some of the stuff that happened. For example, she tells the uh, school board, um, we've been in a, this school has been in a downward spiral for a long time, but it's been deteriorating rapidly over the past five years and extremely rapidly during this school year. Um, she says, um, just, just a couple weeks ago, a teacher was taken away in an ambulance with a head wound when the teacher tried to break up. Fighting between students. She said there was another case where a student um, inappropriately touched himself in front of others. She said she had two kids that were simulating sex acts. Um, She had a list that she apparently shared. She said, just in a two day period of time, I have a list of vulgar words that have been said to employees. In just two days of school, again, she says people are getting injured more than ever. During the month of May alone, one teacher sent away in an ambulance with a bleeding head wound caused by a fight. Um, Students held down another student so they could steal his shoes and more. She got emotional talking about how one teacher throws up every Sunday night, dreading the school week, and says teachers are suffering from PTSD. Uh, The response of the school board has been, well, we really didn't know about this. Um, this is you know, we, we weren't we weren't aware of this. We wish we wish she would have talked to us beforehand. Um, we we did become sort of aware of concerns, um, like in the spring and we, we had a meeting with the staff and we sent a district administrator over. Um, so so we're gonna address it. And the school board again sends out a note to the parents saying, Well, we understand what's going on here, but but there's nothing don't worry, don't worry, we're on top of it. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. First of all, I believe what this lady is saying uh, in, in its entirety. Secondly, I find it difficult to believe that the school board and administrators didn't realize this situation was as out of control as it is. Third, I think that this is not necessarily a unique situation situation and stuff like this goes on in schools on an almost daily basis maybe not to this extreme but but my guess is you know people who are working in the school and these are middle schoolers you know are dealing with this stuff on a regular basis and finally i guess i think that this is one of these examples of what happens when you let the inmates run the asylum where we don't give teachers the authority to discipline we don't have support systems. You have parents who think that the kids can go, do no wrong. And what happens is schools become not places you go to learn, but rather just, I, I don't know, holding centers for would-be juvenile delinquents. And it's really tragic because, you know, not only should teachers not be subjected to this, but the kids, the kids who, uh, again, are there to learn they shouldn't have to go through this. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text line. I don't think this lady is overreacting, I, and I understand the school board says we're going to address this, but they're trying to say, okay, we, we think this is a safe environment. We wish she would have raised her concerns earlier. I don't know. My guess is, my guess is they knew this was going on for quite a while and they just kind of hoped this issue would be would go away. Now it hasn't because one of the employees has decided to go public. Zach in Milwaukee. Zach, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
6: Hey, good morning, Jeff. What do you think? Um, I was actually uh, telling your screener that I was a substitute at Washington Middle School for quite a while.
0: In Green Bay, this one, the yep. school we're talking about. Correct. Okay, got it.
6: Yep. So they can't hold the principal, you know, worth a darn uh, kids are just running through the halls, kind of just controlling the whole atmosphere there. And uh, what the teacher said, I don't know, you know, exactly what she went through. But, you know, the classroom that I was in was just in disarray. You know, the teacher didn't have control. Students mm-hmm. ran it. Um, and You know, it's a shame because, you know, I'm coming in as a substitute. And it was, you know, one of the worst schools that I've been in. So.
0: Really? What? I mean... This is, I guess, this is this is middle school, Zach. That's that's what I'm. I mean, if this was a high school, I would get it. But you're talking about right sixth, seventh, and eighth graders and simulating sex acts and you know this 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 type of stuff. It's almost mind blowing that this is allowed to go on.
6: Yeah, correct. I mean. When I was in middle school, I mean, I didn't even know half the words <laughs> yeah. I heard coming right. out of these kids' mouths. I was like, wow, right. I'm blown away.
0: Right. So and when she so has a list of just vulgar words that she'd heard the kids say over the course of two days, you're not surprised at that. It's probably like every every bad word that we could all imagine, huh?
6: Oh, yeah. I mean, our list would probably match up in two days.
0: So what's the answer? Okay, I mean, I've never been a teacher. I mean, what yeah. what do you do? How do you stop this type of thing?
6: I think it all starts at the top. I mean, you, you need a really, you know, the school board said, you know, we didn't know about this. I mean, how come you have a different principal every year, you know? Right. If the principal doesn't want to stay and, you know, try to rebuild the school, then, you know, right. there must be something wrong at the top. So, I mean, it starts with a strong administrator that's going to sit down with the school and, you know, restructure their uh, right. disciplining and everything like that. Because, you know, for the, the students to be able to run over, you know, teachers like that is just incredible and
0: mind-blowing oh absolutely thanks And, and you you understand why teachers just sit there and say enough is enough i mean this lady was a teacher in that system for 12 years she was at this school for nine years and she just said look i i just it's it's i'm putting i'm paraphrasing but it's kind of like a war zone here you know we we can't go on like this and, you know, they shouldn't have to go on like this. Teachers shouldn't be subject to this environment. And and more important, and it's important for the teachers, equally as important, the students who are there who want to learn shouldn't be in a situation like this as well. She's talking about how kids hold down other kids to steal their shoes, for God's sake. Bill in Appleton. Bill, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
7: Good morning. Um, I uh, adopted two boys in year two and three and under 22 and 24. And um, I think... Uh, I mean, we, we I come from a family of eight and, I mean, there was, uh, really, we had a strap. I mean, my dad never beat us. I know he loved us, you know, but he never right. knew which one of us was causing it so we'd all get it, you know. <laughs> and so, and, and really, for the most part, he was right. He never hit us in the face. I mean, he never beat us. But, uh, you know, out of eight of us, seven of us worked together. So, obviously, you know, mm-hmm. he's, They've done their job. So you kind but of think uh,
0: corporal punishment might be the way to go?
7: Well, I, I don't know if it has to go that far, but right. I think definitely that I don't see a reason why the schools, all schools, shouldn't be teaching parental, uh, you know, what I call parental abuse, you know, where where the kids are taught, listen, you have no right to uh, act right. with your parents. You know,
0: right. Well, no, yeah. I think. I mean, I th- thanks for the call. But I mean, I, I, I look. I I do think part of this problem is we've gotten to a point now. I, I'm not advocating. I'm not advocating teachers beating students. Okay, I, I'm not. Um, now, a lot of us, you, you hear the stories, if you were raised in certain, at a certain age and you were raised in the parochial schools, you remember the nuns and the rulers and things like that. Okay, I, I appreciate in today's day and age you don't go back to that. But the problem is we have taken away the ability of teachers and administrators to provide effective discipline. Oh, you restrained the kid. Oh, that's awful. We're going to sue you. Oh, the child was out of control. Well, you didn't call me soon enough. And that's So the teachers and the school administrators, to an extent, are between a rock and a hard place. That being said, I also think that there's a responsibility in the administrators to get their act together and to say, you know, we're not going to allow a situation where people are just out of control and going to be in a position where they regularly threaten, uh, threaten the teachers and threaten the other students. Peter in Oshkosh. Peter, you're on 620 BTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? Very well, thank you. What do you do for something like this?
3: Well, in Oshkosh, um the high schools have law enforcement agents. Uh, they have liaison police in the schools. Now, not in the middle schools yet, but I'm, this sounds like this middle school yeah. sure could use one, yeah. maybe.
0: Yeah. Well, it sounds like they could use maybe two or three. Right.
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you, if you fight in school with a law and, and they they pull you out of class, you get a ticket. Uh, eventually, if you're a real problem, they just pull you out. And I, yes, it throws you into the the, the juvenile court system, but. You know, maybe by weeding out some of the bad kids, and you know, eventually the parents will take notice. You said you can't restrain the kids; you can't, you right. can't obviously hit them. But you know what? Uh, a law enforcement liaison sure can put cuffs on them and you know, walk them out. Right. And their parents got to correct them, come from work and get them. And, that might start making changes.
0: And isn't it isn't it a sad reflection that we're talking about middle school students? <laughs> yeah,
3: I mean, I have kids in middle school. and I have kids in high school, and to think that you know, but it's a different age, Jeff. And there's you know, yeah. kids. Are more
0: mature. Right, and, and more willing to test thanks for going. And, and with the impulse control of fruit flies. Okay, we continue this conversation. We've got a couple of fascinating calls on the line. It's ten twenty two, Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Hello.
3: Ten twenty four,
0: Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. This is the Red Hot Chili Peppers. They're playing tonight at Summerfest. Joan in Milwaukee. Joan, good morning. Oh yeah, hi. Hi, Joan.
8: Um, hi, I'm just calling um, in regards to uh, your topic, right. and you said maybe if this was at the high school, you're just... Um, I- I'm amazed that you know, it's at the, the middle school, school
0: level, yeah, right.
8: Well, I was an elementary school teacher, and am an elementary school teacher, and I tell you, it's an elementary school also. 28 years of teaching, this was the worst class I've ever had, and the things that went on in my classroom would... You would be a um,
0: so well, elementary yeah. school. So we're talking about elementary. kindergarten through through fifth grade, essentially, or sixth grade. Yeah.
8: Well, basically fourth grade and fifth grade. Okay. Um, I mean, there were things that happened in my classroom this year. You, you, I mean, fourth grade. There were so many sexual connotations in my classroom between language and actions, and I've always prided myself on my classroom management skills. And this year, there were days where I felt like. What else can I do? What else can I do? I've done everything I can do. Wow. Disrespect, <laughs> um, talking back, temper tantrums, walking out of the classroom, so much anger, um, stealing going on. And, and we're talking uh, elementary, I mean, point, school. elementary school.
0: Elementary school we're talking about. fourth wow.
8: grade, nine and ten years old. I mean, to the point, and as you said about those who are there, who are ready to learn and right. prepared. I told my principal this year that I'm not making the progress I could be making because I can't get through a single lesson without some kind of interruption going on in the classroom. And like I say, I usually do pretty well with classroom right. management. And this year, and the teacher who's getting sick on Sunday nights, I can understand that completely <laughs> because there are days where I'd be almost in tears saying I can't come back tomorrow.
0: Huh? So what's the answer? I mean, I understand it's a big question. I mean, if, if well, you were if you, you were problem. queen.
8: Power- yeah. Well, part of the problem is in my district, um, administration, those at our central office are telling principals, "Do not suspend students." Right. And that takes away a bit of leverage because if we want something to change, we need to inconvenience the parent. And if we don't inconvenience the parent, we're not going to see change.
0: And, okay. so why? Why are we saying? Why are they saying don't suspend students? Because they don't want to make it. Looks it, bad. it it's going to look bad. Okay. <laughs>
8: It's going to look at this way. This way, our superintendent can say, "Hey, look at since I took over three years ago, our suspension rate has dropped drastically." <laughs> that's really that's it's the, true. The
0: behavior is getting worse, but we're not suspending as many people. Wow.
8: No, no, and I and I said this year for the first time too. It seems that the principal finds it easier to discipline staff than they do students. So they will point out anything about us, you know this principal may not like but
9: when
8: it comes to students wow i mean i had a parent who wanted a student discipline because of something she did at home wanted her kept in that recess (laughs) and and the principal allowed it
0: (laughs) Jeez, um how many years did i'm sorry joan you said at the beginning how many years did you say you've been teaching how many
8: 28 28 28. yes wow and i I just retired
0: (laughs) (laughs) just it's one of these kind of like i
8: retired i I told my husband I can't go back and do this another year, hmm. and I can't, so I retired.
0: So when you hear this story, you, you're, you, you, you understand exactly what this lady is talking about, and you, you've oh, lived
8: completely, it. Oh, completely, completely, and that doesn't surprise me at all at the middle school, because like I say, I see a lot of this at the elementary school. I see a lot of anger, um, disrespect, right. and the sexual connotations issue. I've never seen it like that before.
0: Thanks for the call, Joan, and enjoy your retirement. I, You know, the most telling thing about what Joan said is not only just confirming the story, but the whole idea that um, we, we don't want to suspend kids because it's going to hurt our numbers. It's going to make us look bad. We want to claim that, hey, we're, we're reducing the number of suspensions. The kids are out of control. The behavior is getting worse. It's a more dangerous situation. But our suspensions are down, and my guess is that's something that's driving this as well. It's 1028. This is Jeff Wagner. <laughs> It's ten thirty six. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. That is Flume. They are performing at the Miller Lite Oasis this evening. All right. I put this in the category of you go, girl. I I understand that President Trump, President Trump brings out the worst in his opponents. I I get that, uh, but it's been amazing to me to watch. the the media coverage of of the Trump administration and the the way people, uh, including a lot of people in what I will call the mainstream media, I'm talking about the New York Times and the Washington Post of the world and the ABC and the NBC and the MSNBCs and the CBS of the world, the the way they've been falling over backwards to try to, uh, again, not present both sides of the issue. But, you know, everything Trump does, it's going to be awful. You're pulling out of the Paris Climate Accords. Oh, the world is going to end. You know, you're going to kill the planet. It, it is that type of stuff. And the, the way they go out of their way, at least in my opinion, again, I, I understand that the president's sh- it's, it's criticism is fair. I get it. But I don't know that we've ever seen a time in American history where you've had the quote-unquote mainstream media so united, so willing to... I think kick journalistic standards out the window in order to advance an agenda and let's be honest, try to sell newspapers, try to get clicks on websites try to you know get eyeballs to watch tvs i mean that's what you saw with with cnn you know you had this story and we talked about this yesterday cnn on thursday runs they've got this new investigative unit and they they run with this story on thursday essentially saying that a prominent donald trump advisor was having secret meetings with the, the russians and that uh the guy is under investigation by the Senate Intelligence Committee, and they run with the story, and it's based on apparently one unnamed source. Well, it turns out the story is completely and totally bogus. Uh, people involved with the Senate Health, Co- with the Senate Intelligence Committee, say this isn't happening. That this guy is not under investigation, and then it turns out that well, um, there was there was some like public event, and some Russian. Talked to the guy for a couple minutes, but there, there wasn't any discussion of policy. There was just nothing. And they they ran with it because they, they wanted to get the story first. They didn't care about getting it right. They wanted to get the story out there. And now you have a guy who won the Pulitzer Prize, and I understand that's a big deal, at least it used to be a a big deal, but guy that won the Pulitzer Prize came over to CNN from the New York Times. He's out of a job, and a couple of the other people that did this are out of jobs as well. Apparently, the legal department at CNN was raising all sorts of red flags about this story, and they were saying, you know, we you know we don't think we have it and CNN went ahead and they put it up there anyways and they had to eat crow by pulling it back but part of it is the desire to be there first and part of it is again the incredible bias and i think this this sort of almost pathological hate, hate, hatred of the trump administration and again i i understand why donald trump is controversial but still you 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 have so-called journalists who are putting aside any concept of journalistic ethics, whatever that means nowadays, and, and it's just, okay, we got to get this, and we got to get Trump, boom, boom, boom. There is no way CNN would have ever run that story if it were Barack Obama. I mean, again, a similar sort of situation. They would not have gone with an unvetted story based on one anonymous source, Um, immediately after they got. They just wouldn't have done it. But because it's Trump, okay, boom, we're going to go ahead. And, And CNN in a lot of trouble for this. The New York Times is in a lot of trouble as well. Matter of fact, Sarah Palin has just filed a defamation suit against the New York Times. Now, defamation is very, very difficult to prove, and especially if you are a public figure, you you have to prove essentially actual malice. So I, I'm not predicting that Sarah Palin is going to succeed in this. But it de- then de- this this story demonstrates the incredible bias of the mainstream media. Okay, a couple weeks ago, you know everybody will recall that there was the the shooting at the baseball field in Alexandria, Virginia. House Majority Whip Steve Scalise injured other congressional staffers are injured as well, it comes out immediately afterwards that the shooting was conducted by this psychotic Bernie Sanders supporter, who activist lefty, hated Republicans, targeted Republicans, and was trying to kill Republicans. All right? So instead of the New York Times just coming out and denouncing the extremism of, of politics and pointing to, because here you've got, I mean, here you've got a guy on the left targeting Republicans. Instead of just using this as their example to try to, uh, again, condemn political violence. The New York Times figures, okay, well, we, we, we can't just condemn somebody on the left. So what they do is they, in this editorial that they ran, oh, pretty much, you know, immediately after this shooting, they, they talk about how Sarah Palin is partially responsible for this as well. And they point to, back in the 2010 midterm elections, when, when Sarah Palin, um, there was a, a website that she created that featured crosshairs over Democratic House districts, you know, like the gun crosshairs. But, you know, we have these congressmen in our site. These are seats that we're trying to pick up. And one was, was Gabby Giffords, um, the woman who was, you know, shot by the crazy guy in Arizona. But, okay, The the suggestion was, and the implication of the New York Times editorial was that okay, Sarah Palin encouraged the shooting of Gabby Giffords by putting this target on there. Well, the problem with that is that is complete and total BS. And everybody has known it's been BS since the shooting occurred. That the guy who ended up shooting Sarah Palin, uh, I'm sorry, the guy who ended up shooting Gabby Giffords was. A nut. He'd been somebody. It was no political motivation at all. He'd been somebody who had been essentially stalking Gibber, Giffords for you know several years. This ad had nothing to do with that particular shooting. But the New York Times, in its editorial that they run a couple of weeks ago, um, says that you know Palin's website. Put Ms. Giffords and 19 Democrats under stylized crosshairs, and then you know said the link to political incitement was clear. All right, so essentially, the reason Gabby Giffords got shot was because you did this particular website. Well, the guy who did the shooting had nothing; it, ne- it had nothing to do with the website. So it is completely and totally false. So Palin. You know, raises this as an issue. and a matter of fact, the New York Times had to immediately post a correction. We published an editorial last night on the shooting of the GOP men's baseball team at practice field in Alexandria. Um, We got an important fact wrong. We got an important fact wrong. Incorrectly linking political incitement and the 2011 shooting of Giffords, no link was ever established. We are sorry about this and we appreciate that our readers called us on our mistake. We corrected the editorial. So the the knee-jerk reaction is here, you know, we're we're going to go after the Republicans. We're going to blame them for this even though the facts don't support it. We're going to rush this into into print. And and to me, again, I Proving defamation, very, very difficult, especially when you're a public figure. The fact that they ran a correction probably ends up mitigating that. So I take no position on whether she's going to succeed in her lawsuit. What this does demonstrate, though, is that the overarching bias of the mainstream media, the desire to try to find equivalents. And here, we just can't condemn the shooting by, in this case, a far left-wing nut who was clearly doing it as a political shooting. We have to find some offsetting type of thing to make it look like the Republicans are equally as bad. So in this case, we're just going to make up facts. Shame on the New York Times. Shame on them. It is 1045. Coming up next, let's talk about national health care. Stick around. It's 620 WTMJ. Um, Of course, we're playing all Summerfest bumper music uh, to honor and to acknowledge the opening of Summerfest. That's Frankie Ballard performing tonight at the U.S. Cellular Connection stage. Okay. Uh, Obviously, with whatever with with everything that's going on in Washington, there's ongoing debates about health care, and I want to cut to the chase because I've been having this conversation not only on the radio but also. In my personal life, with with people who want to talk about healthcare, see, here here is the bottom line: the vast majority of people, over fifty six percent of people, um, not not on Medicare, fifty six percent of people in the U.S. healthcare system get their insurance through their employers, and so that's the vast majority. Then you've got you know military pensions then you've got medicaid so most of the people who get insurance and then of course you, fun, you you factor in the people who are on medicare most people get their insurance through either their employer or through one of these other things um obamacare what the obamacare signups like 11 million all right and, and 11 million is a big number but but in the overall context of things It's a relatively small number. Now, I don't know about you, but the truth is I am relatively happy with my health insurance. I mean, you know, you you, you hope you never use it. And if you don't use it, you feel like, hey, I'm paying this money for insurance that I don't need. And it's money that I'm wasting. But trust me, if you ever need it, you're going to be awful, awfully glad you have it. And again, the vast majority of these people in this country aren't in the private insurance markets there were clearly before Obamacare problems with the private insurance market. There were there were problems, and this is again the people who aren't getting their insurance through their employers or through Medicare or Medicaid. There were, clearly, there were problems, but there weren't statistically you weren't talking about tens of millions of people you know there were cost issues there were issues with pre-existing coverage like we've talked about i mean all those different things so there were in fact problems but but what we have now done is with the affordable care act you've essentially blown up private insurance there there is there isn 't private insurance like there was before two thousand and ten where you could sit down with an insurance agent, you could talk about what your needs are, and you could say okay this is this is what I want i don 't need maternity care coverage because i 'm fifty eight years old i you know i I want to have i 'm willing to pay higher premiums because all I want is catastrophic coverage You, you could tailor it you can 't do that anymore all that all that is now gone, and as a matter of fact, for employer sponsored insurance. Um, A lot of that flexibility is gone as well, because now there's mandates. You know, this has to be covered. That has to be covered. You can't have individual plans that are tailored to your needs. Once you have an entitlement program in this country, it is almost impossible to go back because people get used to it. And this is the problem that's going on now. Whenever There's an effort to reform Obamacare. Oh, this person is going to lose their coverage. This person didn't have coverage beforehand. They're now going to lose it, and this is going to be terrible. Um, Now, keeping in mind that this, this only affects a relatively small number of people when you look at the overall pool of people who are getting insurance. And like I say, I think most people are are relatively happy with the insurance that they get through their employers. But what about the people who are kind of on the fringe of society or are unemployed, um, you know, and don't have money to buy insurance? How do you deal with that? So we're talking about essentially kind of blowing up the system. Whenever I discuss these reforms, there's a certain group of people who say to me, you know what? Health care should be a Right. And everybody should have the same access to health care, regardless of their ability to pay. And, and the idea that just because you're working, um, you, you, know, you shouldn't have better access to health care than somebody who's not working. Or just because you're working and you don't make as much money as somebody who could perhaps afford you know, a better insurance program, there shouldn't be any distinction. You know, everybody should be treated the same. And I then say, okay, does that mean that you essentially want us to go to either a single-payer system or just go ahead, national health care, where the government takes care of everything? Now, what that means is... We would all have to pay substantially more. I mean, the estimates to just move to a single-payer system, which is where the government is, is the insurer, the government sets all the rates, everything is administered by the government, and everybody is covered. I mean, the cost of that would be several hundred trillion dollars a year. And what that means is, if you're working, you wouldn't have your private health insurance anymore. So you'd have whatever the standard is that the government would have, and you would have to pay substantial amounts of money unless you were below whatever the income threshold would be. I mean, you would probably be paying, I don't know, 25, 30 percent of your salary in, in a tax to help support this, this health care system. And as we talk about, you know, for example, with Canada, there, there's rationing. There, there's only, you know, if everybody has access to this, there's long waits. So, you know, if you need, you've got kidney stones, um, you've got a problem, you know, be prepared to wait three or four months to be able to see a specialist. But everybody would be covered. And I'm actually talking to more and more people, and they're saying, yep, that's the way it should be. It shouldn't, it shouldn't matter. Everybody should have the same access to everything and what we need to do is just guarantee that let's go to a single payer system or let us go to, let's just nationalize health insurance the government nationalize health care the government provides it for everybody and we will have people paying uh, again so you, the the benefit would be yes you're going to have to pay a lot more but then you don't have to worry about it all four one four seven nine is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. I really believe that that's where a lot of people are trying to drive us now. Let's just nationalize health care or alternatively, let's have the government take this over. And look, the rich people can quote unquote rich people rich typically being somebody that makes like $2 more than you do, they can pay for it, and we're going to tax the heck out of them, and then everybody will be treated the same, and it shouldn't make any difference. Is that really where we want to go? 414-799-1620 is the number. I want to have a discussion on this, and so going to take a quick break. We're going to have the news, but, you know, think about this, and then let's talk about it. I just, I think it would be disastrous. I think it is unnecessary But more and more people are starting to talk about this as a reality. We're going to discuss. It's 1056. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1108. This is Jeff Wagner. I'm having more and more conversations with people who are saying, look, why don't we just let's forget about this health care debate. Health care is a basic right. Everybody should have the right to the same health care. It's not fair that somebody that works for an employer that provides good health care should have access to more choices or more doctors or more plans um, than than somebody who doesn't work for as good an employer. Why don't we just let's go to a system where everybody pays in and then you have the government run it, either nationalized health care or this kind of single-payer system and I say, well, you realize the estimates are just single payer would cost like $350 trillion, and it would mean massive, massive taxes um that you would have to pay out of your own pocket that your employers would pay oh that doesn't matter i mean health care is this basic right now i reject that because i think especially before obamacare there were problems with the health care industry but but most people i think were satisfied with their insurance even people that didn't get insurance through the government or didn't get insurance through their own employer they, they had various choices now there were Obviously, you know, you had issues with pre-existing conditions. You had issues with people who, at the very low end of the income scale, who, who had affordability questions. But that was a relatively small number of people. We're now on the verge of blowing up the entire health care system. And I think it's a mistake. Michael in Waukesha. Michael, you're first. Good morning.
4: Well, good morning. Uh, now that you just, what yeah. you just said, I was going to blast you. So you're a purported conservative sounding pretty much like you're promoting a socialist concept.
0: No, 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 no. Well, no.
4: I, I know, but that's what it sounded like before. Now you did what you just said late, just this last, this last intro. It didn't sound like that. It sounded like you're kind of opposed to the idea. I I'm saying,
0: very much opposed to I'm either single payer or to national health insurance
4: myself, because I don't feel like I should have to pay for everybody else's health care. And that's the one thing that no one talks about. They keep saying the federal government's going to pay for it, but no. the federal government only gets their money by stealing it from me.
0: Right now, you you will be paying not only for your health insurance, but you will be paying. For for everybody else's health insurance as well. I mean the estimates are I mean if you look at the model in in England, you know, 25 30 40% of your wages, of your income would go to support the healthcare system depending on how much you work, and how I much you make. I
4: don't do that. I don't want to pay for that. And and another thing, you know, we're, <laughs> there was a there was a, a special on PBS several years ago where they looked at four countries that had uh, Socialized, nationalized medicine, and one of them was uh, one of the Scandinavian countries. One of them was Germany. One of them was Japan. And one of the ways to reduce costs, and they showed they, they interviewed this doctor, and he said, "Well, so this guy came into me, and he had a cut on his hand that was like two inches long. What do you think that would cost to get stitched up here in the United States? Probably over a thousand dollars." He got seven fifty to do that. He said. Mm-hmm. So if you want to crimp those people that are making all the money in the healthcare system, you have to start crimping the doctors and the nurses. That's not going to happen. Well,
0: well, ex- exactly. And plus, I mean, right? Plus, you you lose the ability to take choices. Now, I mean, I, I guess, and again, I, beat me up on this, if you will. I mean, is is the right to care, Is it a basic right? And does everybody? Does everybody have the right to the same things? So if I, through my health insurance plan, have – that my employer pays for and that I contribute to, if I have the right to select various networks – so I can choose. Do I want to be in whatever they call Columbia St. Mary's now? Or do I want to be in Freighter? Or do I want to be in Aurora? um, Does that – should I have the right to do that, whereas somebody who might be now stuck on one of the Obamacare exchanges – You can only go to aurora or or whatever that is so what should everybody have the right to all the different doctors how far does this end up uh going let's talk to mary and racine mary you're in 620 btmj good morning good morning what do you think
9: well i am i think it's naive to say that everyone would have the same health care and even in countries that have nationalized health care it is a two-tiered system because Many people just buy private insurance on top of the, mm-hmm. the national system. And my mother is Canadian. Uh, I gave birth to a baby in England, and I've ridden in an ambulance in Russia. I do not want nationalized health care. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when my son was born in England, the nationalized health care allows for ten women in one room. My husband and I paid because he, we had private health insurance. Right. We did pay for a private room. The private room had no TV, no telephone, no bathroom. Right. My son, the day after he was born, I asked one of the midwives, one of the nurses, could he be bathed because my family was coming to see him. They said, you'll have to bathe him yourself. So 24 hours after his birth. <laughs> He was still. He still had blood on him. Yeah. I, I was. Just, I, I, had, was cause
0: I was smiling because I was a friend. Of, I, I, a friend of a friend, had a baby recently, and I was at one of the new hospital facilities, and I was in one of the birthing suites. <laughs> you know, and it's 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 not ten women in one room. I guarantee no, you, Mary. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. And
9: um, it. I'm, and I am curious as people sit back and say we should have nationalized health care. Are they thinking this through? Um, our neighbor in England, um, did, he learned he had cancer he never saw a doctor before he died Yep. He, he never got in to see a doctor during my nine-month pregnancy i was allowed one doctor visit one in nine months Wow. other than that you see midwives which sounds lovely except you see a different midwife every time you go in mm-hmm. and they do not keep records on you so you have to carry your own records And with every appointment, you start with what's your name, how many pregnancies have you had, and your entire 20-minute appointment is telling a new person who's never seen you before your history. But during nine months, you're allowed to see a doctor one time.
0: Right. Right.
9: And is that what we're saying we want?
0: Well, you, you, until you have it. Yeah, I mean, thanks thanks for calling. Until you have it. And, I mean, here, I have a, a text here. Sam writes, you know, why are Canadians buying property in the Phoenix area? Number one, nice weather. Number two, it's the Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what you see. And now Canada, it's, it's single payer and you have the waiting periods that Mary was talking about. I mean, I went through this a couple of weeks ago, and I, I could be slightly off, but you're talking about 16 weeks to wait to see a doctor for routine urologic procedures. You're talking about, you know, four or five months for, like, basic types of cancer treatment. I mean, the type of stuff that we just would not tolerate in in this country so i have a snarky text from i have no children i pay uh, so uh, yet i pay other kids to be educated guess i shouldn't have to uh do that based on your position what well, no and the truth of the matter is that through government programs Whether it's, uh, let's take Medicaid for an example. You know, right now, our tax dollars are used. People who are paying taxes are used to subsidize providing different health care options for the low, for people who are low income. That's always been the case, and that's never going to change but the question becomes do you think it's in everybody's interest to say let's treat everybody the same and for those of you who are earning money get ready to pay 30 to 40% of your income in taxes to support this system and everybody has the same choices you know everybody ends up having the same choices and mary is exactly correct you know you go to a system like this there's still going to be a two-tiered type of thing because there's going to be some people who say i'm not going to i'm not going to wait you know I, gee, I've got kidney stones, I'm bleeding, I've got an infection, it hurts, I'm not going to wait 16 months, 16 weeks to have this taken care of. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Mike in Menominee Falls. Mike, you're in 620 BTMJ. Good morning. Good
10: morning, Jeff. This is a, Thank you for taking this topic yes, and, and framing it in the way that you have. Uh, and I think that's a critical piece is that I think once people realize the actual cost of this, and the burden that it will put on the taxpayer. Yeah. Um, and I think that the irony of this is that you have, at least my my perception is that younger people, millennials, you know, the whole Bernie Sanders crowd is just rah-rah for this. But the irony is that the vast majority of the cost for this is going to be on their backs forever, for sure. their entire lives. Do they understand that? And I think if you start to, if people start to have this discussion in the terms as you frame it, it might be... Move uh, yeah. the needle in terms of people understanding and and getting them away from this. I think wildly ill advised concept.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, from my perspective, to tell you the, the, the truth, Mike. Okay, I, I'm 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 relatively close to Medicare, yeah, okay? So, I mean, I, I'm the situation for me is a couple years. The situation for right, for the millennial, for the someone who's 25 years old, you know, you're talking about like 30, 35 years. Do you really want to pay, you know, that type of money? Now, look, I understand we always have to have a system that is going to provide some support and give some access to health care for those less financially well-off. But do we really need to blow up the system? And that's what we did with Obamacare, a system that I think for a lot of us, worked just fine now i understand there were problems but instead of dealing with the problems we're blowing up the system and now people want to blow it up even more absolutely well
10: and the the other scary part of this that i don't that i think would be a good addition to what you're talking about from strictly from a financial perspective and related is that the the amount of health care that people require as they age um, grows exponentially and the fact that the baby boom generation is now just starting to Cap into those resources uh, for the next twenty to thirty years. The cost the, the and the amount of health care required is it, just going to have Oh yeah. Flow.
0: Oh, oh, oh oh oh. Exactly. The I mean, are,
10: are absolutely right. frightening.
0: No thanks. And see, and that's why also what is lost in this debate. You know, we, we're focusing so far. We're, we're focusing on the, the insurance company issue and how are people going to get their insurance. The, the, the flip side of this, and a matter of fact, when I had Senator Johnson on last week, we were both talking about this that you you, you can 't have this discussion without talking about spiraling health care costs and I Okay, there's a story in the Journal Sentinel today. State health care systems and other stakeholders speak out against health care bills. Um, you know, um, Aurora Health Care, the state's largest health system, is clear and state for uh, straightforward. It opposes the House and Senate bills to replace Obamacare, so to Freighter, et cetera, et cetera. You know, all these different, you know, places are, are opposed to this. Okay, well, all right. I like nice things, but you know what? This explosion of every hospital around building Taj Mahal facilities, you think you want to talk about driving up health care costs. Now, I get our, our, our caller, Mary, was saying you don't want 10 people in a room. You walk into some of these new hospitals and it's And look, I I think building hospitals are great, but you look at these things, who do you think is paying for it? Well, okay, we're all paying for them in increased costs that are passed on. So you have, you know, every hospital now feels that it's got to have the newest and I'm not just talking about the newest equipment we've got to have the most special hospital here and, and yes our competitors are in this area so now we move into this area and, and you can't have a conversation about the healthcare problems without also having a, a look at, at healthcare care costs 6% on average a year increasing can I see a show of hands how many of you have had a 6% raise in the last year how many of you expect a 6% raise next year and the year after and the year after and then you've got all the capital improvement problems and projects so uh, when When these healthcare care providers start screaming about how you know we, we need to have more and more of this or that or the other thing, you do kind of wonder where is their responsibility for reining in costs as well It's 1124, Jeff Wagner, 620 WPMG. It's the Spin Doctors. Some people, somebody asked asked me if I misspoke when I was talking about the cost of single-payer. I'm looking at the story. California is considering going to single-payer, just blowing up their entire insurance system so essentially everything would come through the government. Just in California alone, um, they estimate that replacing the current programs with a single-payer program um, the state would need to come up with $200 billion annually. $200 billion annually, and that's just California. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and uh, Text Line. Let's talk to Jeff on the west side. Jeff, you're on 620 TMJ. Good morning.
5: Good morning. Um, my wife and I, we lived with her family in Japan. They have single-payer or government and health care. Right. My father-in-law. He was a surgeon and actually became head of the hospital while we were there. And I'm intimately knowledgeable about it. And I had a knee injury. Um, it was hampering my running, it wasn't painful. for anything. He arranged for an MRI. Well, that took two weeks, had to be done at a different hospital, because not all the hospitals have MRIs. And, you know, it, it, I found out later that if my father-in-law wasn't the head of a hospital, There's no way I would have gotten an MRI for that to find out what was wrong with my knee. Right. Um, And then when later he was semi-retired, he came down with cancer. They said, sorry, this new promising new drug, your prognosis isn't good enough. You're not going to get it. You've got 30 to 60 days. But luckily for him, being on the elitist side, his colleagues pulled some strings, and he got another nine months. So single pair is great if you're on the elitist insider side. Not so good if you're not
0: right sure. and, and 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 the truth of the matter is Jeff, for most people you're, you're not you're not going to have those different choices we're going to lose I, and look and I again I, I keep coming back to this premise I appreciate that you, you need to, for, for those on the lowest socioeconomic rungs, the, you know, you, you need to provide something to give them, you know, access to health care. But this idea that we all have to be treated equally, that, that, that just, I don't think that's practical. I don't think that that works. And I, I don't think for most of us, we want to give up what we already have. We're willing to pay a little bit to help other people get something, but we don't want to give up what we have. I don't know that it's fair to require everybody to be treated equally, if that's even possible.
5: Yeah, it's going to lower the quality of health care to go to single payer because you have to ration the care. Yes. And that, they even admitted that when they were... Coming up with Obamacare, you know, they were caught on tape saying, yeah, we got a rash in the care. That's how it works.
0: And and see, and that's exactly what happens in in Canada, where you have just exactly what you're talking about, these lengthy, you know, waiting periods. All right, you have, all right, a friend of mine had a kidney stone, you know, and it was... Causing him pain, and he was peeing blood. Okay, well, okay, he's able to get in to see his doctor in a week, and a week later, you know, he's able to find a urologist to do the treatment, and now he's fine. You know, in Canada, sixteen weeks, twenty weeks. Hey, live with that. So you're peeing blood. So it hurts. So you're running a fever. Well, we can't get you in for twenty weeks. Well, I don't think most people in this country would put up with that.
5: Yeah, and the other thing, if we go to single payer, where are the Canadians going to go? You know, <laughs> yeah.
0: cause it's, right?
5: Where are the stopgap for Canada? but where are they going to go if we go to single payer? I mean they're they're going to their system will collapse.
0: Right. And and where are and, and where are citizens in the US going to go? Because I mean, I, you know, having gone through sort of a having gone through a catastrophic health situation with somebody very close to me, I mean, I I know very well that if if we couldn't get the kind of treatment that I, I that we wanted and we needed, I mean, I, I would have spent any amount of money I had I'd fly to fly wherever you have to fly in the world to get the treatment. So where are citizens in the U.S. who aren't going to wait six months to have a cancer cancer treatment or whatever? You know, where are they going to end up going? The, the wealthier ones will go somewhere. I, I guarantee it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, thanks, thanks. I mean, it's just look. So I'm I'm just saying I, I understand that we we have we have problems. But whenever you hear about, like, this, let's blow up the system, just be really careful about what you wish for, because you might get it. It's 11.28. This is Jeff Wagner.
3: It's like like 11.36.
0: This, this is Jeff Wagner. 6.20 PMJ. That is um, Red Hot Chili Peppers. They are performing tonight at the Marcus Amphitheater. It is the first night of Summerfest. I was just... I was listening to Colleen's newscast, and... Um, Listening to Colleen's newscast, and she's talking about how you're in a situation where <laughs> the, you've got Peter Barca and Jennifer Schilling, who are the, the state Democratic leaders, who are making fun of the Republicans because they, they can't govern to get anything done. Being lectured on the ability to govern by Jennifer Schilling and Peter Barca is like being told. You need to stop drinking, by Willie the Wino. I mean, really, it's it's kind of. But you know what? They end up they they have they have a point, because as I was saying earlier, it is flat out embarrassing that the Republicans in the legislature can't get their act together together and haven't been able to get a budget done. And in my opinion, the responsibility for this lies squarely on the shoulders of Assembly Leader Robin Voss, who wants to be governor and wants to, I don't know, make a statement demonstrating how powerful he is. Here is the reality. The governor says no tax increases the governor is not going to sign off on any sort of increase in the gas tax. The governor believes, and I agree with him, that Republicans don't win elections and didn't get sent to Madison to raise taxes. So he's not going to do it. The state Senate is on board with that. They are not going to do it either. So given that reality, why you have leadership in the state assembly that has dug in their heels and said, well, we're going to look at other things. we, we, We want to lower the gas tax, but then we want Apply the um, sales tax to the cost of gasoline. Okay, that's going to be a net. Tax increase. We want to look at tolling. Well, all right, here, here's the problem with looking at tolling it's going to take you years, even if you can get toll roads in place. You need federal waivers. You're going to have all sorts of litigation if you try to put toll booths down at the interstate, because I, I believe that would violate the Commerce Clause of the Constitution. But maybe I'm wrong, but I guarantee you, you'll be in litigation for five years. That's not an immediate solution either. You need to get a budget done. Governor Walker wants to wants to do borrowing, and the, the truth of the matter is borrowing isn't always bad. As the example I give, nobody would own a home if you couldn't take out mortgages. The question becomes, is the borrowing unreasonable? But I think you need to get the road projects back on track. But right now, the climate, it, you're not going to have tax increases. So why Robin Voss continues to insist on various tax increases is is beyond me. Now, he wants to appease road builders. I get that. But at some point in time, for God's sake, you've got Jennifer Schilling and Peter Barca who are making fun of you. Really? I mean, at some point in time, just recognize what the political reality is and get this done. And, and here's where this is going to have to come from. There's going to need to be a revolt by Republicans in the Assembly. And and that's – we're starting to name John Jagler, you know, Jim Ott, uh, Joe Sanfilippo. Okay, at, at some point in time, you know, you've got to pressure your leaders – to end up saying, okay, we got to get a budget done. Now, moving forward, you know, if you want to have debates and take them to the voters about raising taxes and things like that, that's fine, but that's not going to happen in 2017. It's simply not going to happen. President Trump, back in the news. Now, I don't know how big a story this would, I don't, I don't think this is necessarily that big a story. And under normal circumstances, if it was any other president other than President Trump, it wouldn't be a big story. But because it is Trump and because you have every media outlet around there that wants to try to make him look bad, it's become a story. Now, Hondo, who's producing the show today, you've been to Disney World a couple times with with your with Hondo Jr., right? All right. They used to have this place called Downtown Disney. It's not Downtown Disney anymore. They They call it something different now. But... Yeah, whatever, but it used to, okay, so I remember years ago, I'm at downtown Disney. I'm walking around, and you come up to a, there's a booth, and what you can do is you can get your picture taken, and they have, they have all different magazine covers, and you can get your picture taken, and they've got costumes, for example, that that you can put on, and for reasons that I'm not exactly sure I understand, um, I thought it would be fun. There was a, there was there was like the the, the the magazine was like pro wrestling illustrated and so i decided i was going to have a picture of myself taken and and they had this costume that you could put on so i put on like this long wig and i'm carrying a baseball bat or whatever and then they do a personalized magazine cover me in the wig etc um under the cover of, of pro wrestling illustrated okay so it's kind of a funny it's a it's a joke it's a joke one and i now, now I, and I think I think I might still have this, because it's just one of the things that you look at, and it's kind of fun. Now, I, I, I was never really a pro wrestler, and I wouldn't put this up on the wall other than anything other than, than a joke, okay? Because nobody would ever mistake me for somebody who would be on the cover of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Now, I was thinking about this, because this is the latest story. Apparently, um, there are, in at least five of the golf clubs, you know, President Trump, owns golf courses and private golf clubs all over the country. And in at least five of the golf clubs, in inside the golf clubs, there is a framed copy of a Time magazine cover that has a picture of Donald Trump, you know, now President Trump, but, but Donald Trump on, on the cover. Um, the headline says, The Apprentice is a television smash. Um, Above the Time nameplate, there's another headline in all caps, Trump is hitting on all fronts, even TV. So he's got this Time magazine cover up on all these different golf courses. And it's actually, it's kind of, you know, you kind of look at it and say, oh, that's kind of cool. And if you, you know, if you're trying to, you know, increase the Trump brand and all, that's great. Okay, so you might be saying to me, Jeff, what's what's the issue here? Why why is this going on? Um, (laughs) It... It turns out it's fake. <laughs> it's it, it's fake. The cover's dated March of 2009. Um, the way the Washington Post writes this, it looks like an impressive memento from Trump's pre-presidential career to club members wait- eating lunch or golfers waiting for a pro shop Uh, Purchase. It seemed to be a signal that Trump had always been a man who mattered, even when he was a reality TV star. Look, he's getting a cover story on Time. Problem is, the cover is fake. There's no March first, two thousand nine issue of Time magazine. There was no issue at all in two thousand nine that had Trump on the cover. Um, It's just they made it up. It's I, you know. And now there's all this speculation. Where did you get it? Well, I don't know. I could go to Disney World and get a picture of myself on a cover of. Um, of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, I, I, he apparently had this fake Time magazine cover put up. Now, again, if you want to do it as a joke, I get it. I did it as a joke. It, it's fun. I don't have it up, you know, throughout my house, or I don't have it up at businesses saying, "Hey, I, w- I was on the cover of Pro Wrestling Illustrated," because I wasn't. He's got this fake Time magazine cover that's up, and I guess. And, of course, this now, it's a let's see, one, two, three, four, it's like a five-page story in the Washington Post, and this is picked up on, you know, all of them. Um, Apparently, once reporters started asking about it, the cover was taken down a couple of weeks ago. But, I mean, it's been up there for like seven or eight years, and it's only after people are asking for it. This is, it's, again, (laughs) one of these things, and I don't know what it says, and I don't know that there's a bigger point about this, but... It's one of those types of things that does say something about the Donald's personality, that given all all the different times that he's been in the media and all the different times he's probably been on the cover of Time magazine, that you would, you would fake a cover of Time magazine and then have the audacity. Actually, I, I was thinking of lots of different words, but we'll just use audacity to then put this fake cover up on the walls of all these businesses. I mean, it does it does say something about that i don't know hondo maybe i should bring that cover from pro, me on pro wrestling illustrated in and put that up on the wall as well cuz people say hey you were you were a pro wrestler at one point in time no um, i wasn't really on the cover of pro wrestling illustrated and donald trump wasn't on the cover of time magazine in march of 19 of uh, march of 2009 you just again it's stuff like this it's a little thing but it feeds into all the negative images that some people are trying to portray about the President of the United States, and just like I think you should stay off Twitter, I, why would you put up a photo like this in the first place it 's eleven forty five this is Jeff Wagner it 's eleven
8: forty nine
0: jeff Wagner six twenty wtmj This is the moody blues bmo Harris stage I was saying earlier. Uh, the theme of my prom, Nicolet High School, was Knights in White Satin, except it was K-N-I-G-H-T-S. See how clever we were back in high school? Where, where did where did that cleverness go? We kind of lost over time. All right. Um, we're going to throw it down to Scafidi and Stat in just a couple minutes. They are broadcasting live from Summerfest. John McCure will be at Summerfest. We will be broadcasting live every day of Summerfest, I believe. So if you're down at the Summerfest grounds, stop by and say hi. But before that, I, I want to... I want to talk to you, and we've only got a couple minutes, so I need some input quickly. Um, Last summer, we spoke repeatedly about the controversy in Lake Park involving Pokemon Go. Pokemon Go was, of course, this, this app, the game that was rolled out by uh, Niantic, which is the developer based on the west coast of this game. You had people that were flooding into Lake Park. It created all this angst. One of the county supervisors for the area was upset that you had the great unwashed who were coming into the area and they were they were actually, they were they were using the park and they were parking on the streets and, and some people left litter behind them and oh how horrible this was and gee you've got all these really rich people that live across from Lake Park and they didn't like people coming in and we've got to put all these restrictions Restrictions on these type of games, and ultimately, you know, letters going back and forth, and finally, the, the county board, you know, did this. Now, my premise all along was that this was a, an overreaction, but but Pokemon Go, which I think was one of the greatest things since canned beer. I mean, it was super. It got people out walking around, exercising, using the public parks, which is to me what they, they should be done for. Um, now another summer has come along. Pokemon Go, at at its at its peak, there were apparently six hundred and fifty million downloads. Now they estimate it's down to sixty five million active users. Um, that the that a couple things have happened. First of all, wintertime came around, and so people weren't participating as much. In addition, you've had all sorts of other new games that have come out. Um, I've been down in the Lake Park area a couple times um, in the last week or two, and it looks to me like the, the number of people playing Pokemon Go, you know, using that, has just has fallen off dramatically. So 414-799-1620, that is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I've only got a minute or two, but it does appear that some people who were suggesting that this was a fad um, were, were right. And that this has been replaced by newer things. And I understand the county has made it much more difficult to be able to go and use parks to do these type of things. But from the perspective of this game, which was one of the hottest things going just a few months ago, it does now appear that, at least to my knowledge, that, again, there's still some people that are doing it. But the popularity, the explosion of interest that this had, this is not the case anymore. So, Pokemon Go players. um, Am I correct has has the bloom gone off the rose? Are you still playing it as much, or has this just been something that well, it was hot, it was the fun thing. Winter rolls around though, and now you know our interests have been attracted to other things. 414-799-1620, that nine one six twenty. That is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Sure, it seems uh, sure seems that way, um, and I'm not saying that it's not getting use, but not as much. Uh, Denise in Oak Creek. Denise, you're first. Good morning.
2: Hi. Good morning. Hi, Denise. I just want to say there's not that many people down there because um, Pokemon or the owners of the game remove the Pokestops that are needed to play the game.
0: Right. So, the, yeah, the county, I think, forced them to do that, I believe. But, yeah, okay. Right.
2: So, so that's why there's not so many people. My husband and I went down a couple of weeks ago, and it was nice, and I said, what the heck going on? And um, sure enough, they were almost all gone.
0: Right. So we
2: so, stayed a half hour and left.
0: Yeah. Now, so you, uh, if, if you, so you're still playing the game.
2: Oh yeah.
0: Um, are there in your in your estimation are there as many people playing the game as there was before, or is it kind of as the craze kind of died out?
2: I think it might have died out a little bit, but um, the people. We're friends with a couple of our kids. They still play it. Yeah. And, um, I mean, we're still excited about it. Like like you said, it gets people out and moving. Oh, and yeah. My husband actually lost weight walking around <laughs> last year, and it was great for him.
0: Well, yeah. you no, know, I think, I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think it is a great activity. I was one of these people that thought the counties. The county's reaction to people actually coming to Lake Park was a complete and total overreaction for all the wrong reasons. I also believed that this was ultimately going to kind of be a little bit of a fad, and I think that's how it's playing out. Who knows what the next big thing is going to be. Okay, it's 1154. When we come back, we're going to find out what Steve and Eric have on their minds. They are broadcasting live from the opening day of Summerfest. It's the 50th anniversary. Stick around.
5: When you say
0: 1157, that's Flumer at the Miller Lite Oasis. Three minutes from now, less than three minutes from now, the gates at Summerfest, the 50th anniversary edition, open. That means in three minutes and 30 seconds, the first beer will be sold. Steve Scafidi, Eric Bilstat on site. Hello
3: and we are not sitting with beers in front of us Jeff so just let the record show that we are we're looking out at the beautiful beautiful Lake Michigan ready to start the big gig fifty uh, lots to talk about today a big MU law poll coming out We're gonna have uh, Brian Fraley from edge Mess- messaging on to talk about that. There's a uh, survey out that says Wisconsin drivers are the worst drivers. At least the rudest drivers in the country, we want to dig into that one. I don't know one. if I buy that. No, no, I do. I just spent some time driving around the state over the weekend. Have you ever driven into Illinois? Oh, well, they're bad, too. I'll have to look to see where they showed up. Or define rude compared to define bad. I guess those are two different okay. words. So we're excited to be out here. With, uh, if, you, if you're if you in the area, stop and say hi as you as you walk by the mobile studio. We're on the lake. Uh, also, don't forget, 2 o'clock, there ought to be a law.
0: Yes. We could probably do a Summerfest-related there ought to be a law. Things you shouldn't do at <laughs> Summerfest. <laughs> you Things you shouldn't wear. Things you shouldn't wear <laughs> at Summerfest. <laughs> I'm sorry, I digress. <laughs>
7: <laughs> That's all coming up on Scafiddi Billstead live from the big gig on the lakefront.